Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starlong with Mr. Chris Davies, and we are the hosts of the Water Zone. And hope everybody's having a great day today. Mr. Davey, how are you doing out in Southern California? Thanks for the introduction, Rob. Right back at you. It is a good day. Uh, well, we're start struggling to get out of the recent um, storms that we just had. As you know, Rob, I've got an immediate family member that lives up in the mountains here in Southern California. And she is now uh, in day eight of being stranded uh, up there in the mountain and not being able to get out of her house, out of her cabin. Uh, because there is, you know, 71 inches of snow covering the road, and they haven't been plowed yet, and um, she's uh, she's having a real tough time. Wow. You know, since you're at the irrigation headquarters at Toro, maybe you can make a phone call to Bloomington at our corporate headquarters and ask them for a snowblower so she can get out of her house <laughs> and get to and get to a food store. I mean, I mean, you were telling me you were telling me the story about one of the neighbors that she he was calling down because. He couldn't get any food, and she, she got him some food. But, yeah, almost six feet of snow, that's got to be horrendous. It, it's absolutely crazy. And, I mean, this is, this is you know, they're saying once-in-a-generation storm. I think it's, uh, you know, like once in a 100 years. There mm. are uh, plans to close all the roads in and out of the local mountains this weekend, obviously because they don't want everybody going up there for snow play, but also yeah. because if they do let people up, it's going to steal the resources that are really needed to help people who mm. are, in real trouble in those mountain communities. You said to me earlier that the governor was going to uh, announce an emergency uh, situation for there? That has been done. The governor, okay. yeah, Governor Newsom has, has declared San Bernardino a uh, uh, state of emergency in the county of San Bernardino. Additional resources then uh, coming and available. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you know, my daughter is, is who it is. She doesn't live on a main street. She lives you know, in a in a um, residential area, and they they hear eight days later have still not plowed her her street. Well, well that's that's a shame. So let's bring in Miss Chris Austin from Maven's Notebook. Chris, uh, where you're living up in Central California, do you see anything like that? Oh yes, yes. Uh, we have a lot of snow up, uh, as we say it in Chico, up on the ridge. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> Chico's kind of at the base of, of the mountains, and, and uh, Paradise is up there just 20 miles up. And Paradise is the town that got wiped out by fire several years ago. Um, but, yeah, they've had snow in Paradise and, and in, in Megalia. Um, so, yeah, a lot of snow here, but uh, not to the extent that, uh, that Mr. Davey was uh, <laughs> describing I, I I just kind of have to laugh because uh, there was a snow in Santa Clarita too, and there was snow closed the grapevine. My son had to drive back and forth. I mean, this is the it's just crazy. And you know, my my husband complains about how cold it is up here in Chico, but this week I've been saying, but it didn't snow in Chico. Yeah. <laughs> it snowed back at our old house, but we weren't there. But oh. yeah, crazy crazy weather. And again, what we're seeing uh, this year is uh, there's heavier, bigger snowpack down south. 
then up north once again, which I think is kind of interesting. I've seen this trend for the last couple, you know, three three or four years, I think. You know, more snow in the in the southern Sierras. So, uh, you know, which I I just think that's a bit interesting. And at the same time, up here in the north, like uh, the the Lake Shasta Reservoir just isn't filling as much as. Uh, as the other reservoir, uh, Lake Oroville's close by, but and Lake Oroville's doing really well, but Shasta not that well. Uh, so you know the hydrology is sort of shifting. At up north, you know it's getting it's a little drier, and down south it's getting, you know, crazy crazy snow. So yeah, and that's tough. It's really tough to deal with snow if you're not set up to deal with it. You know. True. Well, they say it's a lighter snow, but I have a trillion-dollar question to ask. So, with with the you know thirty trillion dollars, sorry, thirty trillion gallons of water that poured on California, are we in a drought or we're not in a drought? <laughs> well, you know, it, this is the big question, and and there's a there's an article like five articles on it every day, um, you know, and uh, and. I guess what you at this point you have to kind of consider uh, how you define drought, and there's a lot of different ways people define drought. I think it's pretty safe to say that right now the landscape is not experiencing any drought, and 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 for you know no matter what happens at this point, um, you know the the forests and the foothills, everything's gotten lots and lots of of precipitation and there's going to still be more coming down so the landscape is not in a drought Um, if you live in an area where you have rain-fed reservoirs uh, I think all of those have filled up or they're as high as they can be Um, it a lot depends because in California we have a number of reservoirs that serve a dual purpose of flood control and water storage and that there's kind of a a conflict there because for instance uh, Lake Sonoma up on the Russian River it it is filled up to the point that it can be filled up at this point which is 68 percent and they can't really fill any more because they have to be ready if there is a, a flooding condition they have to leave space for, for flood and you know there's a whole effort going on to sort of rework those curves but those curves are set by the Army Corps of Engineers so all the reservoirs including Oroville including Shasta have to uh, have flood space right now um, but but that you know that being said uh, you know, uh, Lake Sonoma. I mean, the the those reservoirs are doing really, really well, and there's snow up above them that's going to come down. So, uh, if you are on a rain-fed reservoir, you're in good shape. If you're getting water from the State Water Project or the Central Valley Water uh, Central Valley Project, you know, you're going to get water this year. Uh, we'll see how much uh, they give. Right now. The allocation is at 35% uh, for both uh, the State Water Project and for farmers in the San Joaquin Valley. 
other farmers in the Central Valley project system are getting 100%. So, you know, there's a, a lot of people very happy that they're going to have water this year. And I do think that we're going to see that 35% number rise. I don't think it's going to go up to 100% because uh, we have low reservoirs and we want to, you know, <laughs> we need some time to kind of get those back up to speed. Uh, but um, so... So in that case, you know, we're doing pretty good. The big problem is that uh, we had three dry years, and we really went and hit the uh, groundwater basins hard. And so those groundwater basins were already in bad shape, and now they're even in even worse shape. So we're kind of in that situation where if, you hadn't worked for three years, and you, but you still had to stay alive, right? So you lived off your savings and that. You didn't work for three years, and all of a sudden you have a really, really good year, and you're making really good money um, unless you're making, you know, like you won the lottery. Chances are you're that one year of really good money isn't going to put you back in the same place. It's not going to be the same, and that's sort of where we're at you know we still have depleted groundwater basins so um so we'll see i i do think that we'll see a lessening of water restrictions this year in the urban areas um i think it's going to be easier in southern california to a certain extent um but i don't think that in southern california they're going to take the you know the foot off the brakes on the uh conservation uh, completely because Southern California, you know, the state water project is one source. The Colorado River is the other. And the Colorado River is, is not, you know, they are having a good year in terms of snowpack, but that does not necessarily is going to translate into, you know, robust amounts of water for everybody. They're still going to have to cut back. Agreed, Chris. I'm gonna, I'll, go, I'll make a state. I'll make a comment about <clears throat> one of the things you said in conservation. Why you know we're not going to take the brakes off of that. I agree 100% for that. Um, in fact, in, in fact, a, you know, a funny story is I live in Claremont, California, and in that city on the main street, as you drive in from the main freeway exit, there's a big sign that says "Water Conservation in Progress, Water Only One Day Per Week." In a juxtaposition of mix, of mixed messaging. It is, it is uh, thoroughly just slammed me right in the forehead as I've driven by that sign a dozen times while it was pelting down at one inch per hour. <laughs> rain, rain rate, right? So, so, so you've got you know, to take things into perspective. But <clears throat> I was going to make a comment about groundwater uh, uh, depletion over the years and what, what our local water agency is doing. If you want to convert your lawn to native plants or hardscaping or anything like that, you can do that and there are rebates um, available. However, if you do want a rebate, you actually have to make part of that reconstruction of your of your landscape, you know, conversion from turf or lawn um, to native plants, you actually have to make part of that water retention uh, as a part of your plan, either with swales or you know, rock riverbeds, dry riverbeds, 
or um, a retention pond or some of about four or five different features that you can choose from. And I think that uh, that was a recent thing. You know, most up until now, they were okay with you just, you know, taking your lawn out and planting ceanothus or manzanitas or, you know, something else. But now um, they've been very strict in saying, hey, you want the rebate? You have to make groundwater uh, replenishment a part of your design. What do you think of that? I, I think that's fantastic. And it and it's so it's so spot on. You know, the the thing about groundwater infiltration, you know, everyone is saying, you know, we want to capture more stormwater, but in a very highly developed area like Southern California, there's just not a lot of places to put it and you have to have a place where you can put a lot of water and allow it to sink into the ground. Um, so I think that's actually great. Um, you know, we have a, a lawn here in the back, and we have some drainage issues that it creates this uh, this great big pond in the back when it rains a lot. And, you know, we're trying to figure out how we can direct this to someplace more useful on the property where it can sink into the ground, because if we let that water run off, it goes into the it goes into the gutters and the gutters go into the stormwater system, which in a lot of places just dumps it out to the river and out it goes. So, you know, the ability to, you know, hold the water on the property is really important. And that's, I mean, that's how those groundwater basins get replenished. Uh, so I think that's a great idea. I agree with you. I mean, just looking at the fact that you've got <clears throat> Plenty of, uh, um, I shouldn't say plenty. Let me rethink that. I would, I'm going to restate that because uh, here in Southern California, I get to drive over the Santa Ana River every day when I go to work in Riverside, California, right? And it, and it, and it, and it goes right, right below the, the property where Rob and I work at Toro. Um, you can see that riverbed now is full, bank to bank. Um, and it's because they are... The uh, upstream from that, of course, you know, is uh, Lake Paris, which is the right. capture basin for that. And it is full, chock full, pumped through all the stuff, right? So they're letting water out in anticipation of the uh, spring melt. Um, and what they're starting to look at now is if that warmer weather, atmospheric river, warmer weather, systems start to come in with a um, with a lower you know rather than these storms that have come from the north with a very low um, snow level the atmospheric river tends to come from tropical regions that's why it's known as the aka pineapple express right uh, and has and has higher uh, higher precip rates but um, higher uh, snow levels as well so they're afraid if if the atmospheric river comes back with warmer tropical air masses coming over Southern California, um, not only will we get the precipitation from that storm, but we'll get the additional snowmelt from the effect of that warm rain on the existing snowpack, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So they're starting to, they're starting to, you know, in lack of another term, bleed off the, uh, the, uh, retent the um, reservoirs here in Southern California to create room. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. 
And, you know, on that Santa Ana River, um, I don't know if it's the part you drive over, but I know on other places they have things like rubber dams that they put up uh, to hold the water there um, in the riverbed. Orange County is very uh, forward-thinking in this. They've been doing this for quite a while, and they have, you know, they also have recharge ponds right there next to the Santa Ana River. So they're trying to do what they can to capture that water Um, But, you know, they can't capture it all. Therefore, everyone, uh, you know, people that kind of find a way to uh, have it stay on their property, that's, you know, that's very helpful uh, for a lot of reasons. So I think that's a really great program. Well, we we suffer from the the worst at both ends. We either suffer for the drought or we suffer through the floods. And that's kind of crazy, but that's the way it works. You know, I also been, uh, you also were publishing some stuff, Chris, about uh, uh, Fishing, the salmon fishing that they, the state is looking to bar uh, salmon fishing because of the yeah, water. Yeah, I read that, Chris. I'm devastated. Yeah, salmon are not doing good, so you know they're gonna they're gonna have to do something. The the drought has just really hammered the species. Uh, it's it's yeah, it's not good. Um, you know, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to really say you know we we've had three dry years we have you know the hot temperatures are another thing that's really hard on uh, salmon salmon like cold water and we have you know hot air temperatures translate to hot hot water temperatures you know warmer water temperatures so it it's very yeah it's it's not good not a good time to be a salmon fisherman unfortunately no I'm unhappy for the salmon, not so much for 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 uh, for my fishing. Um, you know, because from an ecological standpoint, I'm very concerned about California fisheries, uh, as Rob, you you well know, um, yes. and quite quite involved in that as an avid uh, offshore and kayak uh, fisherman myself. But um, you know, there's I I think we can get prepared to see um, the state of California and and especially. Uh, the uh, fisheries department to look at very creative ways. I'm encouraged. I've seen some already. I read about it all the time. Very creative ways to help bring back the fishery uh, uh, and restore some of um, the uh, the offshore stock as well. I don't know if you've read any of that, Chris. Um, I haven't read specifically on the salmon, um, but I know that there's a lot of work that's going on uh, and you know, one of the things that I was working on today was, you know, this idea of a, an environmental water budget. You know, this uh, I was listening to Jeff Mount from the PPIC, the Public Policy Institute of California, and he was saying, you know, talking to the Water Commission, and he was saying we need to change the thinking of the, you know, the way we approach this in California we need to we think of the environment as a constraint, but instead of thinking it of it as a constraint, we need to think of it as a priority and sort of shift that thinking. And you know, his idea is you you take a block of water for the environment, and that is like the block of water that you have, and you manage that block of water to do the best thing for the environment, the best thing for, you know, 
for broad ecosystem functions. You know, we're always, uh, we're managing our species by the Endangered Species Act. And the Endangered Species Act is not an ecosystem management act. And, you know, kind of the single species approach is really um, hamstringing us. So his idea is you, you need to make the environment a priority. You give it some water, a block of water. And we already do this in many respects, he points out. We have in-stream flows and regulations and such. So there's yeah, already yeah. some water there, right? And you put people in charge of managing that water for the environment. And then they can come and they can sit at the table with the other, other, you know, the cities and the farmers. Then come to the table. They have a little bit of negotiating power, assets they can sort of trade and move around. And then you you make the environment more of a partner in the process, not the constraint on the whole system. Which is it's really kind of a radical a radical thought, but I, I think in a way he kind of seems to me he's spot on. Uh, yeah. You know, we have to we have to look at. And, and we have to be realistic, and we have to look at the ecosystems that we have. You know, like the Delta is not a natural ecosystem. Uh, studies show like 90% of the biomass in the Delta is non-native. I mean, it's overrun with clams and invasive plants and, and water hyacinth. It looks lovely in your water pond at home, but when it go, goes all over the delta, and it does, it, it's amazing, it's, you know, it's incredible. And we're never going to be able to eradicate these invasive species, so we kind of have to decide what we want out of the ecosystem and then manage for that in a broad way. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's, well, I, it was a fascinating conversation. I, I always say if people understand their property, like, you guys were talking about earlier with the whales and the way to store water and, and treat your property like a, uh, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, a, a, a perfect planned, uh, eco ecosystem and, and make sure that you understand your property and what to do with it. I, I think a lot of water agencies have information about that to give to their customers but it's, 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 you know, learning, learning to manage it that way. Uh, the city Chris, Chris Davey lives in is very progressive in Claremont, and, and they've been doing that for years. And, 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 but they do a lot of education for that. And I think learning, learning how to, to manage that property uh, is an important factor that if more people did that, that would sure take a lot of water off the streets, like you said, and, out and, and being thrown to the ocean and, and not being saved. Uh, it's it's an important thing, and I truly believe that if more more uh, publicity is put out towards that, I think it would help help tremendously. A lot of people just mm -hmm. don't don't understand that. They hear the terms, but they don't know what it really means. And I also think, right? yeah, and I think if you go with native native plants, then you can uh, support uh, you know birds and native bugs and and you know and you can attract these things. Yeah, you can attract these things to your property, and that is, I think, a, a wonderful benefit. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on the, you know, on the when we get to groundwater replenish, uh, replenishment, right? You look at, you look at the city, the state, the government, 
counties, they can put water uh, reclamation basins and percolation basins in effect. But what if you can get one out of five households to put a rock riverbed in their front yard, right? I mean, I mean you know, you, the, the upside is huge, right? It's, just, uh, it's massive. And then, and then I know, Chris, maybe you can comment on this real quickly because I know we're getting to the end of the first half. But, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on for, quote, unquote, land repurposing, right? Fallowed lands and things like that to ask uh, farmers to be, uh, you know, con- have a consequential role in uh, water reclamation and, and, uh, and uh, groundwater recharge. And I know that the Water Commission is, is working on that. It was <coughs> one of the articles in your post this week. Oh, yeah. And, you know, uh, the farmers have really jumped on board, especially, uh, you know, it's becoming more uh, accepted to flood your fields uh, for groundwater recharge, they're finding that, you know, at first the uh, farmers were a little concerned. They didn't know how it would affect productivity, but they've done studies on it. And so they found for a lot of uh, crops, they can flood the fields it with, you know, in the wintertime and sink that into the ground. So a lot of, there's been a lot of focus on, on people doing what they can. And I think, you know, the people in the cities can help out, too. I think we should start a campaign, uh, both Chris, is one for five. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Again, it's just education. People really don't, you know, they hear the terms all day long, but they they need to be, it needs to be reinforced with them. And and as you said, Chris, uh, putting one house out of five, if they did that, it would make a tremendous amount of improvement. So anyway, we're come, yeah. we're up against our uh, our uh, halftime break here and, and commercial break. And Miss Austin, uh, you're going to have the week off next week. So we will hear from you in two weeks. But we appreciate you, everything that you do. And for our listeners, please go to www.mavensnotebook.com. Become a subscriber. Become a, uh, a sponsor. It's a great way to get the best water news you can every single day in the morning at your computer. And uh a great read so chris you're doing a great job on that and we appreciate that all right good evening everybody all right take care chris all right we're going to take our little break here and we'll be back with some featured guests so stick around it's an interesting topic about some technology that's new in the market and uh, might be of interest to some of you so stick around we'll be right back kcaa loma linda The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulations. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. 
Site One is here to help. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623-594-8689. Five nine four eight six eight nine KCAA All right, we have some good guests coming up uh, today on the show, and I'm going to let Chris introduce them to it. So uh, here we go. Well, welcome back to the Water Zone, everybody. I'm your host, Chris Davy, along with Rob Starr. For today's show, we've got a fairly new and upcoming company coming on. Uh, they're called Thrive Smart Systems, and they're going to talk about bringing a truly wireless irrigation solution to the market and it's called the thrive evo all right guys let me bring you guys on uh seth bangerter and brian Britton. welcome to the water zone hey thanks chris but uh thanks for having us yeah thank you, you hey, thank you thank you for joining us today uh, just for our listeners uh you know you have a pretty unique product which we want to get into in a second but how did your company start you have an interesting background on how that was all put together yeah, great question. So I started off, uh, I grew up on a farm. I've always been involved in irrigation. Uh, my older brother is a landscape architect. Uh, he does his own design build business. So I, it's always been part of my world. Uh, then I went and got my degree in mechanical engineering while I was at uh, Brigham Young University, uh, joined an incubator, a business incubator. Um, and that's where, that's where I met Brian. Yeah, so we met uh, each other in this incubator. It was Seth and another initial co-founder, Skyler. And you know, during this incubator, we were just kind of exploring different problems, especially in this space of landscape and irrigation. And of course, couldn't help but stumble on this big, big issue with wiring. And we started talking to all these landscapers, and they were complaining about, you know, oh, I'm running a hundreds of yards of wiring here, and it's getting cut here and shorted here. And um, you know, the more we talked to them, they would actually kind of follow up with us and. We got some pictures that they would send of like, oh, look at, I lifted up this root and there were all these wires just strewn about it. And uh, yeah, we just kept finding all these problems. And um, in fact, I even kind of played a, kind of felt like undercover cop. Uh, we knew an owner of a large landscaping company and uh, I ended up just kind of working out with these landscapers for a day and none of them knew why I was there. They just thought I was 
a new employee working with them. And I was really just kind of scoping out and kind of seeing what it was like uh, to install some of this wiring and the issues that come up. And, and throughout the day, I'd be like, oh, you know, what if there was a kind of a wireless solution for this? And they'd be like, oh, that would be so nice. That would help solve so many issues that we're having. And so it was during this you know, exploration time that we started coming up with different solutions and prototyping different ideas. And then we'd take it back to these landscapers and they'd give us really valuable feedback that we'd pivot on. And before we knew it, we had, you know, really, really awesome prototype and uh, we're starting, started garnering a lot of traction. And uh, it was about that time that we started going to different competitions as well. Yeah, I guess you could say it was very or organic, uh, just entrepreneurial, wanting to understand what are the, the needs. And then it was obvious very quickly that, uh, you know, they needed wireless valves and, and that's what that's what we ended up landing on mm -hmm. and then with that we uh, started entering business competitions and that's really where the company itself started as we did a number of business model competitions and were able to secure our our seed funding i guess you could say yeah excellent well before the, before this did you guys have any uh irrigation or you know green industry background um not more than just growing up on a farm and working with my brother um in his uh, design build company located in Albuquerque. So uh, not much more than that. I mean, I, I, I was always repairing sprinklers around the house. Yeah. Our, yeah. So not, nothing much more than that. Yeah. And I think our almost our, our lack of personal professional experience has really allowed us to tap into the experience of, you know, the people that we meet and the expertise that we meet. And it's allowed us to have a really open mind and, and just kind of be students of the space until we've, Kind of gained this intense passion for this space and now we can't you know walk along a street without lifting the valve box lids that we see and uh it's just kind of something that we've grown to love and we yeah it's been a, a really fun journey yeah that's yeah. excellent i mean the point of the question was you know asking that because you get you give it a fresh look right i mean no baggage coming into it or anything like that so um why don't we just get right to the product right so i mean just kind of for our listeners can you can you give us an overview of the product? I know you know kind of kind of what it we talked uh, about the the um, Thrive Evo. Uh, so I know you just said it's a device that kind of makes valves and any conventional controller into a wireless device. I can see already just in my own mind how many problems that solves. So kind of give us the basis of the uh, of the Evo, if you will. Yeah. So the Evo makes any valve wireless. So we like to say, hey, we don't care what your valve is. We don't care what your controller is. We're going to go ahead and make it wireless. <laughs> um, so for all those situations where a wire gets cut, shorted, or severed, and retrenching just isn't an option or it's cost prohibitive, you can go ahead and plug. It's a plug play device that makes everything wireless. So when you get the device, um, it comes with two parts. You have the Thrive transmitter and the Thrive receiver. The transmitter will be mounted directly next to your existing controller. And then you'll just decide, hey, which stations do I need wireless? So let's say you're adding a zone or one of those wires went off, uh, is offline. You would just put a jumper wire, you know, six, six inches to a foot between the controller on, onto the transmitter. It'll convert that signal and then send that signal up to 200 yards away. And then the receiver goes to the underside of the valve box lid and it in turn will switch it to a DC um, pulse and will actuate a DC latching solenoid. Ah, so it's mounted on, mounted on the underside of, of uh, a valve box lid as one, one solution, as one option. Exactly. Yep. And that, that's the way we prefer it. Yep. 
Yeah, all 24 volts, Seth? Um, so the transmitter receives 24 volts, but the receiver, um, the receiver is a DC latching solenoid with right. uh, just nine volts. Right, okay. and, and, and the landscaper needs to know how to re, uh, re, uh, reset the, uh, the valve with the solenoid, you know, put a nine volt battery on it and put one in, because a lot of people put them in and they don't know how to do that and they turn it on and nothing happens. So. Uh, that's probably in your training thing, but uh, you're limited to four stations. Are you have any plans to go further than that, making it a, a complete controller that does say 24 stations? Uh, yeah, great question. Definitely, um, we have plans in place. We try to stay away from becoming the controller. We want to let controller companies do what they do best, but we want to be able to enable them. And so, yeah, it's in the product. Uh, the generational product plan to have um, multi more than just four stations. Right. Now I was looking in, in your website and you talked about, you know, your for residential commercial and you had golf courses listed. Um, you know, sometimes it's going to be much more than 200 yards. Uh, are you looking at adding repeaters in, 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 in that? And I, I would assume that you're in the uh, you, you're in a higher frequency to transmit those. Yes. Yeah. There's ways that we could incorporate those as time goes on. Um, right now in its current form, uh, the antennas are embedded in the product. So we're not really swapping out antennas or tying in repeaters. Right. And we advertise 200 yards and that's so people can get a good idea of what distances can be obtained, but we're advertising that through any obstruction. There is uh, a feedback loop that comes back to the transmitter, meaning, you can go look at the device, our device next to your controller, and it'll tell you the signal strength. So we can't predict every site condition out there. So you'll have five LEDs and they'll indicate just like your cell phone, hey, how strong is my signal? So people can get an idea of what distances they can hit specific to their site. Yeah, so each EVO unit, essentially four stations. So, um, you know, you can use them in parallel then I'm assuming, right, Seth? I mean, or, or daisy chained if you wanna use that term. Um, well, maybe I need to better understand what you mean by in parallel or daisy chain. If you've got, if you've got, uh, eight valves, for instance, that, uh, you want to control, would that be two, um, Thrive Evos? Correct. Yep. You can mount multiple Thrive Evos next to an existing controller without any interference or anything of that nature. So they're, um, they're encrypted and, and they're not going to, or let's say a neighboring site also had some of our, our products on site. Uh, you're not going to have any interference or issues there. Okay, perfect. So from a, from a customer application standpoint, let's kind of, you know, kind of take an outward view. If you, if, uh, if you got a minute to talk about that, where do you see the product being used? Is it, is it sort of, um, you know, you, are you kind of looking at one single segment of the market or, uh, or more broader outlook? Yeah. I mean, we developed our product, to solve the basic problem of, you know, irrigation wiring and, and failures in that space. And so uh, our markets cover wherever you have failed wiring, which can be golf courses, you know, large residential systems, uh, commercial properties. And of course, the, the more wiring that you have, the more our product, the, the better the value proposition is of our product. Um, so we've kind of explored all these different spaces, you know, anywhere that wire fails, that's where we either are or intend on going. And so, that's kind of uh, what our, our future path looks like. Our, one of the key customers or a primary, like a, let's just say if this was like the star customer where they get the most benefit, are those that have central controllers. 
because they have already invested heavily into making their irrigation system water-wise, smart, able to uh, incorporate flow and, and sensors of all sorts. And when you lose a valve, you lose all the capabilities you just invested in, right? So those customers would, I'd say, is our star customers, but that has not stopped any residential homeowner saying, you know what, I really just don't want to go underneath my driveway or across that, you know, yeah. my property. I'd rather just do it wirelessly. Well, no one, you know, you can, you can detect bad wire, you know, there's devices that uh, can track signals and things. But one of the things is just like a drip, uh, in-ground uh, drip. Somebody puts a shovel in the ground, punctures it, breaks it. But you have the same issue with uh, animals and all kinds of stuff. Once once that wire gets bitten or broken or it gets corroded, your resistance change, the capacitance of the wire changes. And uh, all of a sudden, what you think you're going to get is going to be uh, nothing at the other end. And uh, so having having wireless is a really is really a cool idea. I, I think uh, a lot of a lot of people would leave it like to do that. No one wants to start digging the yard up looking for wire buried at all. That's, that's the worst thing people can do or even trying to locate a valve box that's buried in, in the yard covered with grass and stuff. There's, I mean, there's, there's ways to find that. But if you can eliminate all that by RF, that's a smart way to do it. Right. Yeah. And th that's exactly what the customers have been feeding back to us. And really, we like to say we developed this with with the landscape professional in mind. And then it's just spilled over, you know, uh, not just the landscaper out in the fields wanting it, but homeowners are wanting it. Municipalities are wanting it. And you go to the architects are wanting it. So it's we definitely hit a nerve where people realize, hey, this this makes sense. What are some of the things that make it contractor friendly, you guys? I mean, it, you know, other than, uh, you know, what are... Yeah, so like, for example, um, all of our LED outputs, so you'll notice that on the receiving end, the field unit, you'll have LED outputs that will let you know if you still have connection. Because let's say you stick the, uh, the transmitter on the wall and you start hiking, now you're 200 yards away. You don't want to have to sit there and go, well, am I or am I not connected? You'll just have a simple LED output that just blinks green. So it's something small and simple, but we designed it with, with the end user in mind. Now let's say they turn on a station. You'll also get that LED output out in the field. So you'll be able to quickly identify, hey, it's working the way it's supposed to um, and, and troubleshoot it if needs be. Um, maybe some other features that make it friendly is um, when you stick it in the valve box, you know, you, you're, you have to drill it and thread it into the, you have to basically secure it to the underside of the valve box lid. So we've just made that simple and straightforward with embedded nuts. So when you um, put the bolt through, it just e easily captures, easily secures to the lid. No needing, you don't need to go down there and fiddle with trying to get it threaded on just right. Things of, things of that nature. And that was all feedback directly from the landscape professionals as we gave them prototype after prototype. Yeah, just to kind of punctuate that, it's it's been really awesome to see that after we've installed with these landscapers, they'll even explicitly say things like, wow, you guys really knew what you're doing or, uh, you know, you really were thinking about us while you were designing this. Like, they'll, they'll come out and just say things like that because of how uh, intuitive it is for them and how, you know, even though this is kind of a more cutting edge product, how we tried to make it feel as familiar as possible for these landscapers for the kind of, you know, devices that they're already working with. 
Yeah, and it looks like when I looked at the product on the on, on the website, you've got the security issues uh, resolved as well and compliance issues too. I mean, uh, IP67 rated, all that kind of stuff, yeah? Yep, IP67, FCC approved, uh, just robust. Uh, you'll, you'll just notice that you can drop it, you can throw it. You're, you're going to just feel the strength of it as soon as you hold it. I, I, you know, you were talking about the battery life and the indicator. So I, so I have to assume that there's a battery in the receiver part. Uh, and how long do they look? How long do they last? Yeah, great question. So on the receiving end, it takes two nine volt batteries, and, and that's a unique design as well. You can just take the cassette. It's kind of like a cassette. You just pull it right out of the device. You can pop in your two batteries, so you don't have to be disconnecting this from the valve box lid every time you need to replace the batteries. You just uh, pull out that cassette, pop in two nine volts. Um, we, we recommend lithium. With lithium batteries, you're gonna get a much longer life, um, but it's compatible with alkaline. If you just, if that's all you had on a Friday afternoon and you needed to throw them in before the weekend. But uh, yeah, then it'll last anywhere from one to two seasons, depending on usage. So- um, and, on the, and on the transmitter side, does that get power by battery or can you get that off the controller? Uh, the, that's just pulled off of the controller. There okay. is a uh, knockout if you wanted to have your own transformer for it. Uh, you could supply the 24 volts from your own transformer. Okay. And on that and on the transmitter side, it will indicate what the battery life is out in the field. So rather than having to go out in the field and say, okay, you know, is it is it dead? Is it alive? You can just go to the transmitter right next to your controller, open it up, and just like your phone, one to five LEDs, it's going to slowly tick down, so you you'll know if it's time to replace them or not. Right. Well, that's as you said, you put some good thought into that to to get that out. How are these on the market today? These are. Yep. We launched the product. Uh, we did a soft rollout in September of last year. The reception was great. Uh, it was only concentrated in Utah, and now it's available on the market nationwide. Uh, starting 2023, last month. So can you talk about the suggested retail price? I won't ask you the distributor or anything else, but uh, what's the manufacturer's list yeah, of, so, of, of for station? Yeah, list price is 989, so $989. Um, and that would be the list price going into any of our distributor stores. Hey, uh, guys, so let me, listen, I know a lot of our listeners are very interested in conservation, and it's a big part of our show. If you listen to it, any, any of the podcasts, you'll know. So I know you guys are working on the conservation part of it because there's a conservation message here with this product, right? I mean, there is for sure. And I know that I read about, you know, you guys working with some water districts and all that, trying to get on programs, rebates and things. Can you touch on that a bit? Yeah, definitely. So... Um, as Seth mentioned, you know, our kind of our prime target customer are these these landscapers that use smart irrigation controllers that are tapped into weather integration, you know, flow meters, moisture detection, all, all these different things. And, you know, in, in virtually every case that we've seen, they have at least one or maybe multiple stations that are connected to battery operated controllers or different devices that just aren't tapping into that smart technology. And so they've invested all this time and resources into these smart controllers that oftentimes aren't, we're not seeing them utilizing the full capabilities of these. And so our product really is these controllers best friends and it ties those valves back into those smart controllers in order to capitalize on those water savings. And so that is a big 
aspect of our product, uh, especially for these customers who care about water conservation. Yeah, we've had quite a few water districts um, that already have rebates in place for uh, smart central controllers. And we've been able to piggyback off of those rebates. Yeah. And really it's, it's not really, it does help save water because it enables you to do things you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Um, for example, in New Mexico, we had a, a prominent uh, school district was able to consolidate three controllers down to one things of that nature. He goes, oh, now you can actually have them in a central place and they're, they're utilizing those capabilities to save water and maximize uh, efficiency. So you're actually, so what, what the rebates are then, or any programs that you're in, they're kind of, they're, you're, as you said, coattailing or piggybacking um, in conjunction then with smart controller rebates, right? That, that's, that's right. Heard you say? Okay. That's, that's right. Because our product in and of itself doesn't save water. Ours is just an enabler to let you yeah. be more efficient. You can divide a system. Like let's say you have a hill slope and it's all one station. It's puddling at one end and it's dry at the other. Well, now you can easily divide the system. And, yeah. you know, it's, it just wasn't feasible previously because what was the point? You wouldn't be able to get a wire to that valve and tap it into your control system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, let's just take a little forward-looking view here, then, guys. Have a little, uh, have a little fun. Kind of see where you guys think this is, uh, this is going to go. Maybe talk to um, where the product is available. Uh, let's start with that. Yeah. So the product is available um, through select distributors, and they're they're jumping on on board one after another. So to get a full idea of where to go we we just ask that you go to our website and you'll you can click on where to order that's www.thrivesmartsystems.com and that'll always give you an up-to-date um where you can get it right now you can get it throughout all of california anywhere where you can find a horizon store uh, we're working closely with other large distributors within utah you have sprinkler supply all throughout colorado every major distributor idaho wyoming west we've been west coast centered um as we've started to roll out but uh yeah keep your eyes open <laughs> you guys must be pretty excited oh yeah as soon as you chris as soon as you said forward looking uh, brian and i looked at each other and just <laughs> smiled because that's we're all full throttle straight ahead <laughs> <laughs> what else can you tell us then is there is some exciting news on the horizon so to speak colloquially or uh, or is that something that you can share yeah, I guess the easiest way to say it is we're committed to making uh, wireless available and to every aspect of the irrigation space. And it's it's exciting as we work closely with with our customers and see what's needed out there. You you alluded to it earlier that you know could we have could we control more than four? You know that's something we we're excited to do. We're excited to make partnerships within the industry, and we have with. It's been really good working with different controller companies, flow companies, metering companies, anything of that nature. We're excited to make it wireless. Yeah, and just to kind of add on top of that, we, uh, you know, we're entrepreneurs at heart, which means that we, we love hearing from customers. We love trying to find these problems and try to devise solutions around it. And as we've released this product, it's just given us uh, even more ability to hear feedback from larger sources and higher numbers of landscapers. And so it's been awesome just brainstorming with them getting excited about uh the future with them and just kind of dreaming with them and so we plan on never stop doing that 
So when when you were funded uh, again, if you can answer this question, or or, or you, maybe you don't want, you you feel it's inappropriate to ask, but um, so when you got funded, were there any restrictions on? Is there a second party ownership in patents, or it's all under your company? No, it's uh, all under our company. Uh, it's all been. Uh, I mean, it started with seed funding and then self funded, and and yeah, it's all owned within within the Thrive umbrella. Good. Smart way to do it. <laughs> yep. yep. Did we miss anything, guys? Is there anything you, that uh, that you'd like to add? What do you got, Brian? No, I just want to thank you guys, and uh, we're excited to, you know, as as things happen and as we continue to, you know, work on making this industry wireless, we'd love to come back on and keep you guys updated on where we're at. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I, there's actually what? one question. Rob always asks this question. I'm going to let him ask what he calls the czar of water question. Go ahead, Rob. <laughs> So where do you guys see the future of water in the U.S.? Oh, thanks for <laughs> asking. I love that question. You know, I look at it and I see um, immense opportunity. I think I'm an optimist. So I, I see opportunity that water is going to be um, a resource we need to we need to be aware of and conscious of and conserve. But I'm optimistic, especially as I look at our vein and I see how we're going to be able to increase water savings through wireless technologies. And I look at it and I say, hey, 100 years from now, there's going to be landscapes still. There's still going to be green grass and trees, but there's not there's not going to be wired systems. It's going to be wireless. That That's my visionary approach to the future is uh, it, the technology is here and it's ready to be applied in the right way so we can... All right, we're going to pick up on that because we're nearing our uh, uh, NBC News Hour, and uh, we don't want to run out of time because they'll, they'll cancel us, so we have to yield to them. But we'll continue this conversation on the next show uh, with the two guys, and uh, hope everybody uh, enjoyed that. It's pretty neat technology, don't you think, Chris? It's absolutely fantastic. Great to have those guys on, one Yep. All right, so we'll 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 add that to the next uh, part of the show, and uh, we'll we'll get the rest of that going. So uh, one thing that Chris and I always want to tell you, all our listeners, please do this. It's important. Please help keep our planet blue. Yeah, because if you like green, you got to have blue. So good night, everybody. And don't forget, we'll pick this up on the next next round. Good night. KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM.